there's nothing else quite like. Hello, this is William Easton, your host for a revolutionary new approach to small business success, Richmond Biz Live on WLEE News Talk 990 AM. You can start by checking out our website at richmondbizlive.com and download your program schedule. You'll find it in the resources section. Join us every Saturday at 10 o'clock for Richmond Helping Richmond, one hour of information, techniques, and tools that you can use to achieve your dream. Clear your calendar and join in every Saturday at 10 o'clock on WLE News Talk 990 for the most important hour in your week. Good morning, Richmond. Hey, I had a good time. I saw a biography uh, the other day on Robin Williams, and I just loved that opening. Good morning, Vietnam. Now, fortunately for me, I didn't have to do that. I was in the Coast Guard at that moment in time. But that's a different story. Uh, Today is a beautiful day in downtown Richmond. Beautiful meaning it may be overcast, but the weather is great. Humidity is down. And we're here at the studios of WLEE News Talk 990 at 308 Broad Street. And this is Richmond Biz Live, a business radio show talking and focusing on growing existing businesses. And the older, the better. And the reason that we have taken that slice of the market is that Richmond, like a lot of cities, is doing a really good job of focusing on startups and incubators and all the things that people need to get into business. But like most cities and most areas, nobody's doing anything for the existing business. Business has been there five or ten years. And that's the focus of this show, is that you've been in this business a while, you've made sizable investments and sacrifices, and now it's time for payback. Um, after all the years of no checks, the blood, sweat, and tears, and the sacrifices that you and your family made, it's now time to recoup that. And if that's you, you are in the right spot. So join us as we help you on your journey of growing your business and at the same time growing Richmond's economy one business at a time. You can call in and be that firm at 844-249-5483. That's 844-249-5483 or... Make it easier, 844.bizlive. Okay, um, so uh, before we start, let's just talk about the format here. Every segment, every topic is authored by not only a thought leader, somebody who's recognized either nationally, internationally, or locally as an expert in their field, but also they are a small business owner. So we don't talk about theory here or conjecture. We talk about things that work, and what they share with you are their tools and techniques for their businesses and for their clients. And basically, what you hear here is how we run the business. So the way to get involved is join us every Saturday at uh, 10.06 in the morning, um, and uh, you come dial up uh, WLEE News Talk 990, dial it up on your radio, or you can go to our website, richmondbizlive.com and on there you'll have some buttons one button says watch us which will allow you to come in on the video stream or listen to us and you can stream this over the web and also it gives you a a section on the shows so you know what to expect we have a programming guide there and then on the resources section we have all of our previous shows so if you missed anything um that's the place to get it now what's today and what's this week's focus this week's focus is we're basically going to take three topic areas, and we're going to treat them as the same thing, just different perspectives. Andy Schulich from Metamorphosis Management Consultants is going to start by talking about productivity. Now, in season one, we called this processes. And so one of the assumptions is, is that you put some processes in place, and now what you're looking to do is you're looking to get the payoff. You're looking to get the pro- productivity out of it. So you built the process, which is a if, if for lack of a better term, I want to call that 
a what? We'll call that a verb. Yep. Then when we talk about productivity, we're going to talk about the noun. If, if I can kind of, and, and trust me, I am not an English major. So productivity is going to be, uh, is the process is basically paying off the way they're supposed to. Then the next segment, and I'm going to be doing that one, and that's going to be on performance. In the last season, we call that people. But now we're going to take a little different view of it, and it's the same thing of the difference between a verb and a noun, is that, okay, I've got processes in place that should be giving me the type of productivity, quality, unit cost that I need. Now the issue is how do people do the work? And that's why we're going to call that performance. And then finally, I'm going to close out uh, today's session with talking about uh, owner as executive. And for all of you out there, remember, is that one of the advantages that you do get if you wind up in large corporate environments is that you learn the lesson of as you get promoted in the organization, you need to change your style of leadership and management. Uh, if you don't, you will be demoted pretty quickly. If you're a small business owner, if you've never had that experience, good or bad, is that you don't understand is that as the company grows, it is not a promotion to you in one way, but in another way, growth demands a different set of leadership and management behaviors. And there are two, there are like three major failure points in most businesses when they start up. One is cash starvation, which is in the early stages, the not enough uh, sales to keep the doors open. The second one is what's called the founder trap. And what that basically means is that you can't get out of your own way and then the third major failure point is destruction of working capital. You're growing the company so fast, you're destroying money. And so my whole issue as owner, as executive, is I'm going to get you out of the founder trap. So that's where we're going to go today. So now, let's start off with the first segment. And I have uh, our friend and colleague, Andy Schulich from Metamorphosis Consulting, back in the studio. And we're going to be talking about this issue of productivity. Good morning, Andy. Good morning, sir. How are you today? I am doing great, sir. Hey, uh, I listened to last week's show, and uh, what Linda said and what Mike said were fantastic. Good uh, information, thought-stimulating uh, conversations to make uh, even everybody think about, you know, where the money cash flow is and, and uh, sales and that. Uh, you know, addressing what you yeah. just said about the, the leadership there, um, you know, if you're in a startup and you were the first one to invent the computer, you were the entrepreneur, uh, you had to then figure out how you're going to mass produce it. That's and, right. And when you mass produce it, you don't care about quality because you don't have any competition. But as the competition comes on, you've got to have a different mind to look at the quality aspect of it. And then as time goes on, you have to have a different mind to look at, I've got to shut down that old product and bring on new products. But with that in mind, uh, I want to give you a little overview of uh, the next five uh, productivity shows uh, so we can run at this 95% capacity continuously. And uh, in all these shows, we'll be addressing the key business productivity parameters, which we have to think about is not um, just internal to one area, but on multiple areas, and focus will be on changes in the work environment. This is uh, the normal day-to-day -day operations. And operation flexibility, this is needed for special cases. Employee engagement, employee knowledge, continuous improvement. And, and this is really from a, a complete business viewpoint, not just isolation. So today, let's look at the work environment. And I have a question for everybody listening. What do you think of when you hear the word productivity? Now, think about it. You know, what's in your mind right now? 
more than likely, uh, it is associated with production of a product or delivery of a service. But when you think about productivity, it is the total efficient operation of the, all the functional areas of a business, which is not just the production area, but the back office, the delivery service, the incoming goods, spare parts, everything from the executive board, basically down to the floor sweeper. And, and, and I can attest to that because, as most of you, the listeners know, I'm working as a vice president um, at a manufacturing firm in southwest Virginia, and I do that three to four days a week to help them build, put lean processes into place. And I can tell you we got the processes there, and the ambiance and the attitude on the floor is good. There we see changes, but I'm not seeing the financial changes yet that we expect to see, and the issue is this. We don't, we're not getting the productivity gains every place in the organization. We're only getting it in a few places. So with that in mind, you know, another question for you. Think about this. What are the three key components of a business that impact its running capacity? Now, think for a moment. What I've come up with is product, process, and people, which in this segment uh, for this quarter, we're looking at product, um, productivity, and performance. And so if we go to that, the product, uh, as a slight definition, is an item or service for purchase by a customer. If you don't have a product, you don't have a customer base, therefore you can't really make any income. The processes, uh, these are the steps one takes in performing a function, a well-documented process allows one really to go ahead and access uh, efficiency and effectiveness to which a continuous improvement process can be applied. And when you're in the um, 15% category, this is really what you have to focus on to really get it so you have that consistency. So basically, you're looking at documenting what you do you had developed a reference point, and you go ahead and look at change recommendations, and then you implement the improvements to okay. get you to that. So with people, um, you know, without people, there really is no business. First of all, you don't have any customers. Second of all, if you do have customers, you can't produce anything because it's the people that move the products through the plant for the most part. They are the ones that run the equipment. They are the ones that order the raw materials and deliver the finished goods. So they make it happen. And if they don't, um, basically um, it's a losing battle. And they are the observers, the innovators, and the doers. So with that in mind, my next question for you, the audience, is what is the most important functional area of a business? Think about it. Of all the different departments that businesses have, which one is the one that's needed the most? For my observations, basically, there is no single most important functional area. For the interrelationship and dependencies, of all of these functional areas are needed for the business to stay alive. 
if one area totally experiences failure, eventually the business will cease to exist. And such as an example, uh, you know, uh, if I can run at 95% capacity but my, in, in the production area, but my marketing and sales cannot produce any customers, my capacity is meaningless. That's right. In fact, the assumption is, is that, and that is the assumption of season two, and here's Andy's role, is we got to get our processes to operate at 95% because we are aggressively going to go after marketing and sales. We are going to aggressively advertise. We're going to aggressively sell, sell because what we're looking to do is we're looking to promote hockey stick type growth because we have built the infrastructure of the business so we can achieve that end. Yeah, my, my past experiences, uh, I dealt with uh, machine design, and our machines could produce very large volumes, but it could be the best machine in the world. But without that market, you know, it's worthless. Um, so that was the interconnection there. If a customer service department performs poorly, I could lose my customer base and go out of business. Right. You know, if my purchasing department loses a key supplier, I might not have the raw materials or products uh, from my suppliers to make my products or supply my services. Thinking of an air conditioning company that right. purchases the, the, the hardware. As with a vehicle engine, as we all know, all cylinders must be firing on their proper sequence for maximum performance. So, with that in mind, the next question for you, the audience, will the total business reach and be able to maintain the 95% operating capacity level at the same time? And what we have seen is, in the past, different sections grow at different levels and at different speeds. But the answer to that is yes, each section each functional area will, at some point in time, reach that 95%. But the probability of all reaching the same time, as I said, is very low. So the business is in a cyclic game. You know, you, you, you have a lot of uh, demand, but you don't have the production level. You develop the production level, but then the demand goes away. Right. So it's very hard, and it's a challenge in a balancing part. And in season one, we talked a little bit about this, but maybe we should emphasize it more is that, and, and this is, there is no hard statistic that you're going to get from research. This is just experience is that you never want one function of the company to outstrip the other by about 25%. Now, what I mean by that is I'm going to build capacity up to a certain level, anticipating that my growth in sales is going to run at about 25%. And if I if I can grow sale, if I can grow actual sales to the company by twenty five percent, and I run at ninety five percent capacity, I should be able to handle that demand. And so that's typically the way that we look at this is that, and that's why we didn't talk about sales in that way last season. We talk, we talked about uh, the emphasis was on Andy's section about building the processes. Just like in in this season, the emphasis is going to be more at on marketing and sales in, in Andy's role. If he was if he was your head of operations in your company is how do we get it at 95% and how do we keep it at 95% so that we can deal with the influx of sales coming into the business. Right. 
yeah, it's, it's 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 like I said, it's a balancing act. And those businesses at the fifteen percent category have learned to make adjustments so that the ninety five percent level is maintained as an average with minimal variation in either way across the whole organization. Right. And and what becomes critical here is two things. One is what metrics have you put into place so you're capturing in the real time are we in fact getting there? And number two is that what your role as an executive, and I'm getting, I go back to my VP role, is looking at the metrics to go, we are we are failing because of this area here, which we may not give it enough attention to. So until we can fix the process, it's going to be more of it gets executive attention, and you. And a lot of times you can make up for a lack of processes, or you can make up for a lot of stuff if it's what you focus in on and that's what you manage. Correct. So with that, you know, let's look at a little bit more detail. What may cause this cyclic situation? Think about it. In your business, do you have this situation? And what do you think are the root causes of all this occurring? Well, what we have observed is that there is a constant change in the operations of various functions of the business. Again, the very cyclic system. This should be due... Well, this could be due to changes produced by regulatory organizations that you have to deal with, increase or decrease in demand. Uh, new technologies is definitely, uh, in the last 10 years, has, has really created mm-hmm. a lot of this. But it's also provided some good tools to help us. Right. So something that is good is also bad. It's, it's, it's a mixture. Um, Recently, um, the retirement of experienced personnel, everybody's reaching that age. Uh, Changes in leadership and management, this occurs all the time. They say the government changes a lot. If you've never been in corporate America, you really don't know how much corporate really changes. Oh, yeah. I mean, how many times do you reorg? Right. If you've put a career in a company, how many times have you been reorged? Right. And introduction of new products, development of new customer bases, and... um, new competition in the existing market because somebody says, oh, I can get in on that product that you produce, plus many more uh, of these items that impact your daily operations of all your business functions. So looking at this and sort of bringing this to a closure for this week, um, the capacity of various functional areas and parts within these areas are in a constant flux of trying to maintain the goal of the 95% capacity and, um, you know, a 20% company has developed the culture to meet this challenge, these goals. That's the key issue, is to develop a culture to do this. So with this in mind, let's look at the upcoming show for um, uh, in two weeks. Um, in our next show, we will look into how we can design flexibility into the business to address both positive and negative risk, which are created or are created by entities outside our sphere of influence or control or internal to our present right. company. And, and, and what Andy's talking about that is, there is the, is the t- typical and traditional and somewhat healthy conflict between marketing and sales and production. Because in production, if marketing and sales will say, you know, if you could make that, we can sell it, and production's going to go no. And so production is always going to be more conservative. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're not. Marketing and sales, on the other hand, are going to be far more um, 
aggressive about that, and sometimes they're right and sometimes they're wrong. But this is a very healthy tension that you as the executive, as the owner, needs to manage. No side is right in this particular debate. But there's got to be a lot of pressure external to the company to do X, Y, and Z. And what you've got to do is make some decisions about what we, in fact, can do in production. And that's what Andy's going to be talking about next week. Uh, so, so, Andy, how do they get? How, how do our listeners get in touch with you? Okay, so if you really want to contact me and Yeah, we do. We really do want to talk, talk to you. Uh, you can uh, get me on the web at metamorphosismc.com. Or visit our richmondbizlive.com website. And you'll see Andy sitting there with and the mic with the headphones, and you click it, and it takes it, you, takes it to his, uh, his website, so you'll be able to get that. And, uh, Andy, we'll have some notes up, what, on Monday? Yes. We'll have some notes up on Monday so that you can kind of the nuggets of today's show. So, Andy, good seeing you again, and I'm looking forward to a great second season as we show people how to run at full capacity. Now, after if they've listened to you in season one, they have built it, now let's see if, in fact, we can make it operate at where it needs to be. Well, thank you. And and I think by listening to all the presentations, it all brings it together. Like I said, it has to be a unity approach, and it will really help develop and grow a business to the next level. Thanks, Andy. Good thank seeing you. you. And we'll be back. As a business leader, have you developed a highly productive work environment? Do you create a work-life experience that is self-motivating, enjoyable, and rewarding for your fellow workers, vendors, suppliers, and most importantly, yourself? To navigate to a pleasurable work-life experience, which will provide the means for you to have a fantastic, full-life experience, contact me, Andy Schulich, for a free consultation on the web at metamorphosismc.com. Hello, this is William Eastman, your host for Richmond Biz Live on WLE 990 AM. You know, when I prepare for my segment, Owner as Executive, I am acutely aware that this is the number one obstacle to business growth. So, why don't you make an appointment with me every Saturday at 10 o'clock to help you grow with your business? It will be the best 10 minutes of your week. We're back. This is Richmond Biz Live or richmondbizlive.com if you want to go to our website and you can click watch us, which is means you can get into our video stream. You can listen to us, which means you can stream it uh, over the internet, or of course you can do it as you're doing it right now. And that is WLEE News Talk 990, just 990 on your dial. Every Saturday morning at 10.06, you can reach the show at 844-249-5483. That's 844-249-5483 or 844.bizlive. Okay, um, this is Bill Eastman. I'm back, and what I'm going to be talking about now is the performance piece. And um, as, Andy was, as Andy and I were conversing here just recently, uh, originally uh, this segment was called People, like his segment was called Process. And the reason that we changed that is because of changing this from a, from a verb to a noun in terms of what can I expect out of this. And so if I've got my people dimension set up correctly, what am I really looking for? I'm looking for performance. Just like if I set my processes up correctly, what am I looking for? I'm looking for productivity. You can't get productivity without performance of people, and you cannot get performance of people uh, if you're not into some sort of system where productivity is possible. And so let me, let me give you a, let me clue you up to this because a lot of people would say, 
we've got those two reversed. We make it sound like processes are more important. And the answer to that is both yes and no. Here's, here's the yes answer. And let me pose this to you. And, I'm, and, of course, it's going to be a rhetorical question unless you call in with an answer. Or you tweet, and I'm looking at Twitter. Well, I think I am looking at Twitter right now. I'm on my tablet, and I'm looking at Twitter. So, no, I don't want to shut down my computer. So if you're here and you want to respond, uh, you can you can hit me up on Twitter with a question. But here's the deal. I, I, I'm going to compare two companies. Company number one has got really good processes. You've listened to Andy in season one. You've done what Andy has recommended you do. You've got it set up. Um, and you and you got the company, however, you, you have not been able to select really great people. You have, at best, your workforce would be average. That's company one. Company two is no processes in place. You're, you know, you're a startup firm. You've grown organically. You, you do what you do because that's what you've been doing. You put really smart people into different jobs. They figure out how to do it, and you work a way through it. Uh, that's company two. Now, here's my question to you. Which company would outperform the other? Or another way of saying it, if you were a stock investor and you were going to invest in one of these two companies, which one would you invest in with the expectation of a positive uh, return? And i got to tell you, it's company one. Because I'll tell you, no matter how good the people are you put in a company, they are not going to be successful if they're in systems that don't work. And if you think about it, most people in business today, most employees, not owners, but most employees, so owners listen closely, most employees are successful in spite of your company. And what that means is that the infrastructure is not there, the tools and materials are not there, the processes are not there, and so what I'm doing is I'm making up for it because I'm working, I'm working hard and I'm dedicated to your company at a level that, you know, basically typically only the owners are. And so... Building quality processes is absolutely imperative and it's primary and it's got to be done because then if you give me a company of average people and great processes, I will beat companies with no processes and great people every single day because the people are being successful because of the business or the company, not in spite of. Now, on the other hand, if you got great processes and you hire great people, Katie bar the door, and that's how a lot of companies have turned people into competitive advantage. So, but I want to take that on. I want to take it out a little bit further. And what I want to do is I want to talk about this topic of discretionary performance is kind of my lead in. Now, the word discretionary means by choice. And this is when I got into the business, I, I'm going to date myself here, in the, early, in the late 1970s. One of the first research projects I read was something uh, done by Daniel Yankilovich. And it was called Putting the Work Ethic Back to Work in America. And this, by the way, his study, it's no longer being uh, conducted, but it was conducted for a good 25 years. And I used to always look forward to it coming out because one of the things that was interesting is it didn't change. It didn't change be between whether we're talking about baby boomers being the workforce or we didn't talk about uh, Generation X or millennials. It didn't matter who the workforce was. And here was the question that he posed. How hard do you have to work? to keep your job. Now, let me give you a frame of reference. You've got, you've got your capacity, your ability as an individual between zero and 100%. How much do you have to bring daily in order to keep your job? Now, what was interesting about this is the numbers always were around the high 20s to the low 30s. 
So basically what it's saying is that most people are, uh, what, what most people were saying is, I can come in with two-thirds of my brain and my ability shut down, and I can do this job well enough that they may not, you know, they may not be toasting me and I may not get be getting huge, huge raises, but they can't come get me. They cannot fire me because I am working up to what the standards of the company is. And that's really one of the things that also come out of the study is that where we set standards are artificially low. And so I want you just to wrap your brain around that is the issue of most people are giving you about one-third of what they need, what, what, one-third of what they're capable of providing to you. Now, the other thing we know about discretionary performance is you can't bribe it by paying them more or giving them more resources, and you can't beat it out of them. You can't whip it out of them. You can't use punishment and coercion to get it. That's why it's discretionary. Whose discretion? It's the discretion of the individual doing it. They get to choose how hard they work every day. And if everybody in your company is working the standard, well, if you're a large corporation, perhaps you can survive it because what you have is you have a surplus of people. If you're if you're if you're a under ten million dollar firm and you've got say fifty to sixty employees, you cannot survive having people working at about a third of their capacity. So here is the question I pose to you. How do I get people to choose to work harder than they have to in order to keep their jobs? And this is not just a question for small business. It is a question for any business and any organization. It's true about the public sector. I mean, we look at what's been going on with the, with the VA and a lot of government agencies, and you look at it and you scratch your head going, what is going on there? And here's the deal. The, the goal, the standards, the work for the government even less. And because of the restrictions around what the Civil Service Act that was first passed in the 1880s and has been modified over time, it's almost impossible to separate somebody. And so you have got to reach in and tap something within that individual if you are expecting anything more than just the little bit of performance that they have to give you to get their paycheck. So now, how do I look at that? So I want you to think about this molecule. And by the way, I'll have this up on the website this afternoon. So you go there, you go to the resource section, you're going to see this. Let's talk about the work molecule, kind of this unit of work. Andy's talked about work processes that is critical in that my job is part of a process, part of a flow, okay? That process, that step that I own or steps that I own, give me a set of tasks that I have to achieve. Okay, so now within those set of tasks, what is the job fit? So the second thing I want to look at is the job is putting demands on me. How well do I, in fact, fit those demands? Is, is, does it fit my skill set? Does it sit, fit my personality? Does it fit my character? In other words, Am I, am I in a place where I actually can use what I got to offer to the organization? So that is that is the second thing to consider. Work process is first, job fit is second. Now the third thing is what we call peer leadership. And that was part of what we were talking about today um, in, in this section was the issue of peer leadership. And peer leadership means, okay, I, we've got formally appointed leaders. You know, just like I'm a VP at a manufacturing facility, I have a director of operations who works for me. Underneath the director of operations, we have working supervisors on the floor, and then the working supervisors manage their specific cells. Peer leadership is how do the people within the cell lead each other? Are they, in fact, taking some sort of leadership role when the boss isn't around to do what is necessary to get it done? And that peer leadership is a clear indication of how much people have bought in or not bought in 
to what you're trying to create as an organization. So work process is one. Job fit is two. Peer leadership is three. Four are your metrics and how you're measuring. But now what I want to talk about is not the metrics that are going up the organization so you can manage it. I'm talking about the metrics that the individual is looking at so they can self-manage. If you want to tap into discretionary performance of people, if you want them beyond the 30%, part of the trick here is to get them to start managing themselves. And by giving them the data how well they're performing, I can tap into people's natural and, I think, very appropriate competitiveness. I can also tap into their pride because if, in fact, I've got to own the numbers, and we talked about a little bit last season with visual management about posting information, and I did it as well, and I'll probably come back to it, is uh, I'm not going to go up and post a set of metrics uh, on my job as bad. And so if I have to every week go up or every day say, here's what I produced, and i got to show people that I'm, you know, I'm shirking my duty, more than likely, if I'm, if I'm the quality person that you want in the organization, I'm not going to let that happen. Now, that gets us to number five. So work process one, job fit two, peer leadership three, uh, metrics in terms of, of, of scorecards. Um, number five is leadership style, and that is how are the people in the organization leading? And I'm going to hold that topic off for my next segment where I talk about leader as coach and the owner as, uh, as executive. And then finally, number six is culture. So let me take you through it again, and this will be on the download. Number one is work processes. Number two is job fit. Number three is peer leadership. Number four is metrics. Number five is style of leadership. And number six is culture, and that is what type of culture have we built in the organization? And one that I have talked about during my segments in segment one and what we're doing in Southwest Virginia is here is our culture. Uh, here's the three elements of our culture. One is performance. We expect people to come in every day and give us their best. It's going to vary day to day. We realize that because we're all human. But if you give me what you got today and that is less than you got tomorrow, I can live with that. Uh, the, deal, the, the problem I have is when you take it to the locker room. The second value is collaboration in that what we're doing here is we're working together to achieve an end. And so if I'm having a bad day, somebody's picking up for me. If I'm having a great day, I'm picking up for somebody else. And then the third one is frugality in that we're treating the money of the company like it's our money. So we do concern ourselves with costs. We do concern ourselves with defects because um, that's the right thing to do in the business. And so work processes, job fit, peer leadership, metrics, leadership style, and culture. And that is a model of looking at performance that we're going to use in season two. But what I wanted to focus in on here is the issue of peer leadership. So let me take that in and spend just a few more moments with that. Is that, uh, and it's part of group dynamics, is that if you look at a group of people and you bring them together, what you'll begin to see is you'll begin to see leadership surface within the group. And so if you look at it, and there's a nice little model out there uh, that a group of people, um, they call it the Tuckman model. And I, I forget now exactly the name of the authors, but I'm sure the author's name is Tuckman. Um, and they said that groups uh, go through four stages of uh, development. Uh, the first stage is a forming stage where people are kind of like dogs. They're kind of sniffing each other out going, who's who? Then the second stage in that group is a storm uh, phase where now what they're doing is they're conflicting. And I'll come back to this. The third stage is what they call norm is the group is now beginning to establish some rules of behavior, not rules of behavior that you're imposing, rules of behavior that they're imposing on each other. And then finally, the last one is perform, 
which basically says is that all of the the miscellaneous human human issues have been taken care of well enough that now we can focus on the task at hand. So typically in a form stage, so let's say you put together a new cell of production, and even though these people know each other, what's going to happen is that they, each person is going to try to vie for leadership because what we all want to be is we all want to be the lead dog. And everybody knows the joke about uh, the, the view only changes for the lead dog. All the other dogs have used the same, and you can kind of in, imagine what that view is. And so in the forming stage, everybody is checking everybody else out to figure out who's who and who's the expert. In the storm phase, what happens here is that I think that I'm smart, and um, my colleague here, Billy Flynn, here at the, the panel, and I didn't, I didn't get Billy to talk this morning, so uh, when we come back from break, I'll get Billy to come on for a few minutes. Um, uh, Billy thinks he's just as smart. In fact, he's smarter than I am on that issue. So what happens is that when we get to that issue, Billy and I are going to scrap. Now, how we fight you know, can be different in, in terms of the organization, and what that culture is, but I mean, basically he and I are going to vie for leadership and until one of us wins, and we typically win by being smarter than the other and drawing some followers. So the storm phase is basically people getting a sense for where they stand in the pecking order based upon the particular issue that we're working on. Phase three, the norm phase, is that we've now worked through this uh, sufficiently that now we have some rules about how we do business, and if you violate those rules, you're going to get hammered by uh, people within the group. Now, this is where culture of the overall organization really comes in, because if you have a, an un unhealthy culture, more than likely the norms in the group are going to also be unhealthy. You have a you do have a significant impact indirectly about what the norms of the group are, and then if they work through those, then basically what we have at the end of that is all this human issues been taken care of, and now what we do is we focus in on the performance that is going on there. But it is critical for peer leadership. Now, how do I develop peer leadership? Well, one of the ways you develop peer leadership is you, you give the group some room to grow and develop its own rules as long as their norms don't violate the norms of the company. In other words, one of their norms is we don't work hard and we turn out poor quality. Not acceptable because they're going to get hammered by somebody, and that's where leadership style comes in. Somebody's going to go, you can't do that. Uh, but what you want to do here is I recommend cross-training. One of the ways to develop uh, peer leadership is to get people cross-trained in all the various functions that are required within the business uh, or within that cell, and so that everybody can do everything, so everybody's competence level has been brought up to a certain point where now they can converse on this. Uh, the the next thing that I would do is I would also rotate leadership, is that in an organization, let's say you have a working supervisor or you have a supervisor, let's say, maybe what you do for the week is you have a key man or a lead man. Uh, obviously, if there's a woman, you'd say lead woman, but it's the concept of somebody who is not formally in charge, but somebody for this week is going to have added responsibility, and you rotate that responsibility among the sections. And so by doing that, what you're also doing is developing leadership. So if your work process has been well thought through and that the tasks that are being demanded of people fit not only the skill set but the personality of the people doing the job, what you're now going to begin to see with cross-training and also putting people in charge of different pieces and rotating that is that you're going to be developing a very healthy culture about your role here is not just to take orders. Your role here is to use your brain and engage it and to make this unit, this work group, this department, this cell work much more effectively. And we are going to take this theme and we're going to roll this 
over the uh, next five sessions that we're going to be doing on the area of performance. But what I want you to kind of get your head around is that it's this molecule that you've got to manage, and in some places you directly manage it, say, by leadership style and by metrics. And in other places, it's much more of an indirect management where we talk about uh, job, uh, where we talk about culture and peer leadership. And so that's where we stand on performance. What we're going to do when we come back is we're going to come back and say, okay, now let's tie today, today together. Let's take process, let's take productivity, and let's take performance, and let's tie that together and say, here's your role as a leader, and specifically what I'm going to talk about your leader as a coach. We'll be back. Hello, this is William Eastman, your host for Richmond Biz Live on WLEE 990 AM. As the show's director and the managing partner for GrowthWorks, the show's main sponsor, it is a privilege to share with you over 35 years of research and application in the practice of business growth. The source of everything we do at GrowthWorks is about either, one, saving the 80% of small businesses that are barely surviving, or two, helping the 15% that are doing well and just need help figuring out what's next, or showing the 5%, the market leaders, how to sustain their hard-won advantage. Make an investment in yourself by joining us every Saturday at 10 o'clock on WLE 990 AM. And let's figure out how to survive, break out, and sustain your dream. It is your best investment in the future. And we're back. This is WLEE News Talk 990. Um, and this is Richmond Biz Live, your weekly business talk radio show, talking about how you can take your small business, your existing small business, and you can break through, break through to the other side, as our friend Jimmy Morrison would have said if he was here with us right now. So anyway, and one of the things I, I'm trying to do a better job of is recognizing all the talent that is required to make this work. And so this morning I didn't ask Billy to talk, but now I got a couple minutes here before I get into my last section. Uh, section. So good morning, Billy. How you doing? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I, you know, I look forward to getting out of bed Saturday morning, coming down to the studio, and half of it is you and I talking about the things that we like, like our mutual, what was it, admiration of Katie Sackhoff <laughs> yes, was indeed. one of them. Yes, indeed. Uh, Star Trek is another yeah, but Katie Sackhoff is, is, is even better because she is quite active on her Facebook page and posting pictures all the time and keeping you updated on what she's doing in new works. Yes. Yes. And with, her with new show, Longmire, Longmire is, is, is a killer, killer show. But anyway, so we, we have sci-fi in common. We both like Doctor Who. Um, I'm not so much a Battlestar Galactica guy. I don't know why I couldn't get It's like Voyager. I could get into all the Star Trek, but Voyager was a challenge for me. I love Deep Space. I thought yes. Avery Brooks was awesome as, Deep space nine finest as, star as trek in my opinion but uh voyager interesting concept not executed well but man there's no way you can compare that in battlestar galactic what, what are you talking well about? no i just you know there's some of those i could i could get into and some of those i just couldn't so anyway this is the type of stuff that billy and i do as we're either getting ready for the show or yeah, after they, the and show then we're like and, oh god we start in three minutes oh yeah, yeah oh yeah <laughs> well we got to stop talking about that but anyway this show would not happen without the people at wlee and uh, especially Billy Flynn here in the studio. And so a um, you know, very professional engineer. The show yeah. runs very well, and he's also a lot of fun to work with. So thanks, Bill. Thank you, dude. All right, man. So rock and roll time. Leaders coach. Um, owners uh, as an executive is this segment of the show, 
And uh, what I want to talk about here is I want to kind of open your eyes uh, to that there's basically four styles to leadership. Now, if you want to do some research on this, now i got to be careful. I will put this on the website, but i got to be careful because as an open source guy, everything that I use, all the IP that you see on the show, is IP that I've developed myself or I've developed with my partners, and I have the right to use. So that, uh, And I give credit to people. In this particular area, I know this uh, research really well, this application very well, because I've did it for a number of years. Uh, however, I don't have the proprietary rights to it. So I'll figure out something and I'll put it up there. So let me talk about this. This is work that was originally done by Paul Hersey and Ken Blanchard. In fact, this goes back to the middle 70s uh, when they wrote a book called Management of Organizational Behavior, which, by the way, if you are a business owner and you want to understand the dynamics of managing people and you're gonna, you will commit to me, you'll read one book. Management of Organizational Behavior is the book to buy and is the book to read. I'm taking some sections out of there. But basically the premise here is that leadership uh, delivered by anybody, whether we're talking a supervisor, a manager, a director, or an executive, or the business owner, is a function of the needs of the individual or group that I'm dealing with. So first and foremost is it's not that I decide how I'm going to lead today or at this moment in time. I'm going to look at the situation on the ground, and I'm going to make a leadership decision based upon what I see. Number one. Number two is that this is not a general term. This is very, very specific to the issue at hand. In other words, I'm going to, for the job that I have right now, I'm going to assess three things about the situation. Number one is, is there an obstacle that prevents the individual or work group from doing this that's outside their control? If that's the answer, I don't have a leadership problem. I've got a management problem. I've got, I've got a barrier or an obstacle i got to remove. If the answer to the first one is no, then I say to myself, can they do it? Is this an issue of training or competence or something like that? In other words, if I put a gun to their head and they really believe that I'd pull the trigger if they, if they didn't do the job, could they then, in fact, do it? And if the answer is yes, then, they, then we have a training and capability problem. If the answer is no to that, they know they can't do it, then what I got is I got a problem with training. And what i got to do is I've got to get the people up to speed for the job. The third issue then it leaves me with is motivation or willingness. And so are people not doing something because they choose not to, because they don't want to? Kind of harken back to our last session where we were talking about discretionary performance, and that's where discretionary performance comes in is that I choose to work this hard or I choose not to do that job. So basically what we're saying here is that those are the three conditions the first one, are there any obstacles preventing you from doing that? I want to throw that out for right now because that's a management problem, and I want to deal with ability and willingness. Now, four styles of leadership. There's, there's basically two leader behaviors, and you got you got some combinations. Leader behavior number one is where you're being very directive or task-focused, where you're telling somebody, you know, what, when, how, where, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, very specific. Pick that tool up with this hand, go over to the machine, turn it off, open up the back, go into that component right there, and then take that wrench and turn that bolt one-quarter wrench to the left. You know, that's what I'm talking about in terms of directive or task behavior. Uh, the second one is supportive behavior or relationship behavior, and that's typically telling somebody why. That's where the why comes in. 
people don't typically have to have the why in order to do the job. The why has a different impact, and it has an impact on their motivation because most like doing things that don't make any sense. And so if you look at it, one combination of those behaviors is tell or direct, which is all direction but very little support. And that works very well with people who are absolutely brand new, don't know much, or you're in an extremist situation. I can tell you that, um, given my Coast Guard career, you're on the deck of a ship, and we're off of George's Bank, and we're in 35, 40-foot seas, and there's a fishing boat that's about to go down on the shoals there, and we've got to get a line over to that boat, and if we don't get a line over this time, we're probably not going to pull that, be able to pull that boat off and save them, as well as i got guys on deck who are worried about their lives. I can assure you that the chief bosun mate who's on deck, the first-line supervisor, is not getting into, let's, guys, let's come together and have a conversation here. He is going to be incredibly directive and say, you do this, you do this, you do this, and expects it to be done immediately as he orders it. Because in that circumstance, that is totally appropriate for what you're trying to do. That's a tell and a direct. Now what happens when you add a lot of supportive and a lot of why behavior? And so this is where I'm telling people what to do, but I'm also explaining the whys. I also could be soliciting their input. I could be saying, okay, here's the situation. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Do you have any concerns? Or I could turn that around and solicit input input from them and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. But what this has in common with the previous style is that as the leader, as the owner of the business, as the director of the business, as the manager of the business, as the supervisor of the business, I'm telling people what to do. Ultimately, you're going to do what I say. And that's what the first two have in common. Just one is just do it, and I'll talk to you later, or here's what we're trying to accomplish, and it's all about what's appropriate for that particular circumstance. The, uh, the, third, the third approach now is it's lots of support, but there's not a lot of direction. And, and, and that approach to leadership is where I engage people and say, okay, what's going on? How are you doing? And I get them talking, and then I find out where maybe some of their issues are, some of the problems they're having, and I provide advice, I provide information, but I don't tell them what to do. And so what you can see here, this is kind of a transfer of power, is I'm beginning to now empower the individual to do that particular job. And typically the reason that they've got questions is because that they're, they're having some confidence problems about, well, do I really understand what I'm doing here? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then finally, the fourth approach is where I delegate. Now, I didn't say abdicate. I say delegate. And what delegate means is I'm clear. People are clear about what's expected of them. They're clear about how they're going to be measured. They're clear about how often we need to talk about it, et cetera. But basically what I'm saying here is that what I'm going to manage and measure as the owner or as an executive or as a supervisor manager is I'm going to measure the results of what's going on, where in the other three stages, I'm going to be looking at process. Now, What does that have to do with leader as coach? Leader as coach is basically taken to two middle styles, is that you're going to have high amounts of supportive behavior or relationship behavior where you're constantly soliciting information, you're talking to people, you're explaining the business case, you're making sure they clearly understand what is expected of them, and if they can't do it or they have questions, you're providing direction. But really what you're trying to do is you're trying to coach people through their stages of development, or a different way of looking at it. Trade unionism had a great model, which I believe in, that says people start as apprentice, then they move the journeyman, and then they move the master. So let me take those three stages and apply it here. Apprentice is all that first style of high direction, not a lot of support. 
Journeyman is in the middle two styles, where basically I'm helping people work through it. So where can I get them? I can get them to master so I can delegate so I know if I put Billy on the job, it's done. All I've got to do occasionally is check on him, make sure he's okay, and that's why it's not abdication because if I never see him, I never talk to him again, and just assume he's doing a job, it almost could become punishment for him for what he's doing. So leader is coach. The thing to consider here is that your approach with people is where you're trying to take them from is you're trying to take them from low levels of skills and motivation to high levels of skills and motivation. And what I can tell you categorically, take it to the bank, is that people who are not competent are not going to be confident in themselves. And if they don't have confidence, you're never going to tap into discretionary performance. It is not going to happen. So what you've got to do as that leader, regardless of what role in the organization you have, is to work people through those middle stages. Coach them, solicit information, give them feedback, and then finally the three questions to ask yourself, is it an obstacle? Is it a um, they can't do it? Or, or is it because they won't do it and then deal with it correspondingly? I'd like to thank everybody for listening to uh, show number, I th- what is the show 16 already? Well, no, no. Yeah, it is already. God, I can't, I can't keep track of this. Thanks for being here. Wealth and prosperity. This is Richmond Biz Live. Take care. This is William Easton, your host for a revolutionary new approach to small business success, Richmond Biz Live on WLEE News Talk 990 AM. You can start by checking out our website, richmondbizlive.com, and download your program schedule. You'll find it in the resources section. Join us every Saturday at 10 o'clock for Richmond Helping Richmond, one hour of information, techniques, and tools that you can use to achieve your dream. Clear your calendar and join in every Saturday at 10 o'clock on WLE News Talk 990 for the most important hour in your week. This is Richmond's home for Money Talk with Bob Brinker. Sundays at 5 on WLEE Richmond, WLEE News Talk.